Good morning, everybody. This is Stephen Davis at Feet for Thoughts. It's Monday, a beautiful Monday. Well, actually, it's not really that beautiful over here. It is raining, but it is still the 7th of August. It's a reason to be thankful and to praise God. Um, today, what did I want to talk about? Yesterday, yesterday was actually uh, Jamaican Independence Day, which was pretty cool. So celebrating 55 years of Jamaican independence. Um, so after church, I uh, went down to my mum's church uh, um, because they were putting on a family day. And it was also Jamaica's, you know, celebrating Jamaican Independence Day. And my mum's church is a predominantly Caribbean church. So lots of people there with their Jamaican flags on their tops and their t-shirts and their earrings and what have you. So it was cool. It, it, I mean, it was nice. And, you know, it, it was nice in the sense of uh, church community coming together in a local park everyone brought food so it was a, you know like a big massive picnic um we had games so you know you had tug of war they you know we had some sprinting egg and spoon racing um all that kind of activity and it was really cool um but there was one this one moment which, which i shared with my son which was quite profound um so it was in this you know in a park area and it's quite hilly um so there's one hill that was taller than you know higher up than the rest of the elevation and my son wanted to go and walk up this hill so took him to walk up the hill and from the top of the hill we were able to look down on all the activity and my son looks at everyone there and he puts his he stretches out his arms and he's like daddy everyone looks like they're one or everyone looks like one and I was just like yeah Isaiah they do and it just you know it was just such a profound thing to say where you know for this four-year-old boy to be looking down at this group of believers who were just there fellowshipping with one another and just to say look daddy everyone looks like one and i'm thinking this boy doesn't even does he fully even comprehend what he just said to me i'm just like whoa that's so deep but did he really get it? I don't know. But it was a cool moment nonetheless. Um, so we were there um, till like six in the evening, I think. Um, it was really cool. Great time. Got to spend time with my mom and my brothers. Um, had a cousin who came down as well, who's not a believer. So it was cool to have him there and just uh, witness what believers can do. And they just, you know, congregate together and just enjoy one another's company. And, you know, you had people from the local community come in as well. It was, it was an open event. You know, so um, when we had the tug of war, they decided to do men against the women, which was uh, <laughs> that was hilarious. The reason why it was hilarious is because me, it exemplified an issue. Um, I don't know if it's an issue in other denominations, but it does seem to be a big issue in predominantly Caribbean Pentecostal churches. And that is the disproportionate amount of women as opposed to men okay the churches tend to be 70 percent women and 30 percent men no more clearly could this be seen than in the tug of war so the women's side had about 20 plus women on it the men's side had about 10 okay so imagine what happened when we did the first round of the tug of war we got slaughtered we got dragged across the ground and covered in mud um, and so <laughs> we ended up 
because it was an open event um, and you know there were some people it was in a park and people were walking through the next thing you know you have this Muslim guy in his full you know gown coming and joining in you had a couple of you know just local kids kind of come and join in just people like you know you just had people just come and kind of top up the men's side and it's not like there weren't enough men there already it's just many of them just didn't want to be involved so they were there standing on the sidelines like come on guys you need to you need to pull in unity and you know you need to do this you need to do that and we're kind of looking at them like yeah we do like care to chip in you know it's it's fine even though it was fun and it was jokes and it was laughs to me, it just exemplified many of the issues I see in the body of Christ, where men are present, but they just don't want to put their hands to the work. They just don't want to actually get involved. But they're fine to stand on the sidelines and say, guys, this is what you should be doing and this is how you should be doing it. And it's kind of like, well, come on, man. like get, get your feet, get your hands and feet dirty, like get stuck in. So, you know, when it was the final round, uh, we decided to balance out both sides on the male and female side. So, you know, it was balanced out. We had 15 women on one side, 15 men on the other side. Um, and actually, no, I think, it, I think it went up to about 21. I think we had 21 men, 21 women. So then it was balanced out. And obviously the right side won that time. So, you know, we praise God. We give, we give thanks, you know. <laughs> but no, it, it was serious. It, it was good fun. Um, it was it was a good time, um, and yeah, it just so happened to come the day after the um, I think it's the World Athletics Championships or something. I don't exactly know what it is, and I haven't really been paying attention to. It. I don't really pay attention to sports and athletics, um, but it was being held in London, um, and Usain Bolt was running. And obviously, you know, me being Jamaican, and you know, Usain Bolt is generally a big deal to Jamaicans. It's not that it's a really big deal to me, but you do get a sense of pride when you see men from, you know, as you see based on the conversation I was having about ethnicity, I have to be careful to say my country, but, you know, from the country of origin of my parents or, you know, from, you know, from Jamaica, you do, you do get a sense of pride from it, you know? Um, so my wife called me and was like, oh, you know, he's running, he's doing a hundred meters. And obviously he, he lost, you know, he came, he came third, um, which was kind of like, it was a shame. I mean, it would, it would have been cool to see him actually win to cap off, you know, um, his career because obviously he's retiring after this championship so you know it would have been cool but obviously uh, it was a guy called uh, Gatlin an American guy who ended up winning but this is the thing that stood out to me about that is that this guy so he's been barred twice for drug offenses for doping offenses so I think this is um, the first time in like 12 years that he's won you know uh, an event like this but what was what really stuck out to me wasn't the fact that Usain Bolt lost. It's the fact that this guy won and he was being booed by the crowds. Now, why was he being booed by the crowds? Because of his previous doping charges. And this just made me think about something that we tend to see in society, um, and especially in the body of Christ, unfortunately, is holding people's past wrongs against them and it's not because they continue in that life that they previously lived it's simply the fact that once upon a time they did xyz 
and people never let it go. Now, I understand that, I, you know, we shouldn't expect everyone in the world to hold to the same standard that we do as the body of Christ. But I do think, you know, I'm sure there must have been some Christians there in the audience. Were they participating in booing this man? Because, listen, if he's no longer doped up on drugs, he won square and fair. You know what I mean? Um, he, he put in the work, he worked hard, and he won. Um, but it's just this thing of holding people's past crimes or offenses or infidelities or whatever against them um and you know in the body of christ i think we see it just as much so someone who once committed adultery in their marriage someone who once was you know went to jail for tax evasion or whatever it was you know we just have this tendency to not let these things go we will continue to vilify people um, and hold it against them no matter what, even if they do a complete turnaround in their life, even if they live and no longer do those things, we still have the tendency as a society and especially within the body of Christ to still give people that side eye, still look at them sideways, you know? Um, and it just, you know, it's just something that struck me and I just felt like, well, yeah, it just didn't feel right to me so i felt bad for the guy because he's there he's won and everyone's booing him not it's not even that they're booing him because usain bolt lost they're booing him because oh once upon a time you did this it's almost like they're saying you don't deserve to be here and you don't deserve to win because once upon a time you did xyz and you know what it's also it's deeply hypocritical of society because then when you go to society and you try to tell people outside the bible that god holds all humanity to a moral standard all of a sudden the tables completely turn and it's like well how dare you bring up my past offenses and say that god is going to judge me for them but then the next day the same person will go and say well this person doesn't deserve this because once upon a time they did that you know and it's it happens so frequently and i guess i just wanted to kind of highlight it you know just 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 talk about it for a second so i guess there's two things on my mind as a result of that number one um does the church have an issue with unforgiveness not just within the body of christ but outside the body of christ um and is society deeply hypocritical when it comes to issues of forgiveness and should we maybe be pointing out that hypocrisy and saying well listen if you can look at gatlin and say well you don't deserve our respect because you know once upon a time you were disbarred for doping charges um you know like and then they turn around and say, well, God can't judge me. Like, how dare he or how dare you tell me that I've sinned against God? You know, should we point that out and maybe just highlight the hypocrisy and saying, come on, guys, like, let's, you know, let, let's let's be real. Like, can you really maintain a double standard? Um, but, you know, maybe there's something more that we can do as the body i mean lately given the last discussion um that i had on the show i am thinking about ways in which we as the body of christ can be light um that we can just shine light into a situation um and obviously the passage in question comes from matthew chapter 5 let me just go and grab it and bring it up um on my ipad um so yeah matthew chapter 5 from verse 
wonders of technology. It's really great, but sometimes it just slows you down. Um, yeah, Matthew chapter 5 from verse 14, which says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So I guess the question that I'm um, exploring um, recently is, in order to shine light, do we need to point the torch in someone's eyes? Or do we need to let our good works show the light that we have, right? So the first thing to take from it is verse 14 says you are the light of the world. So it's not you need to become the light of the world. It says you are the light. Um, before that in verse 13, he's talking about being the salt of the earth. And he says you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Now, this is the thing. We often read that. And the question we ask ourselves is, is really the same. Like, oh, how, like, so, so salt can lose its saltiness? Like, how is that possible or anything like that? Rather than realizing that, no, I think Jesus here is using a bit of irony because a salt because salt can't lose its saltiness like it wouldn't be salt if it wasn't salty and i think that's the point he's making you are salt of the earth so if you're not salty that means you're not salt of the earth but you are right <laughs> you, you are salt of the earth so be salt you know salt is a preservative and um salt has all the, these other properties like you are salt so just be salt and then it continues into you are the light of the world and a city set on a hill cannot be hidden so what does that mean it means you ha you are a city and you have been set on a hill for everyone to see you are light and you've been put on a table on a stand to give light to the house so in the same way let your light shine before others normally we think of this in terms of oh you know don't try to stifle your witness or or hide your witness or what have you and we're normally thinking about it in terms of overt christianese and christianity and all of that stuff but i think what jesus is pointing to is the fact that by virtue of being born again you are now light so your light will shine through and the primary way that he's telling us to let our light shine is through our good works you know, so that people may see those good works and give glory to our Father in heaven. So when it comes to this issue, is it that we shine the torch in people's eyes and say, look, you like you guys um, shouldn't be doing that. Um, it's hypocritical. I think there's place for that. But also on the other side, perhaps what we should be doing is making sure that we as a body, as a community are exemplifying that. So we're not if the if the rest of the world are vilifying Gatlin for winning, we shouldn't be. We should be saying, well, no, he put in the work. He did what he had to do. He got himself clean and he won. And we shouldn't be holding his past against him. And obviously that's going to start with us. That's going to start with the body of Christ. Um, we have to set the example. We have to lead the way. We can't just expect the world to follow us, especially if we are not exemplifying it. So I think if we start by doing something like what I'm doing now, by getting on a public platform and saying, I don't agree with vilifying this man because that's not right. We shouldn't be holding someone's past sins against them today. Um, and it's not even, you know, <clears throat> necessarily a sense of whether he's 
displayed enough public repentance or remorse or what have you um because the example that we have in our life is that whilst we were yet still sinners christ died for us that even when we are faithless god is faithful so you know it's i guess a matter of being merciful and and showing mercy because we have been shown mercy that's the example that we should be showing not only to people outside but i guess to the body of christ and that's not to say that we overlook what people have done um, and that we shouldn't uphold a moral standard it's more the case of if someone did x and they no longer do x don't hold x against them right it's just as simple as that i think so yeah those are my thoughts for today being placed under the feet of christ and it be, please do um chime in call in uh, again you can follow me on instagram and on twitter at feet for thoughts that's feet for thoughts on instagram and on twitter remember you can now comment directly on the broadcast if you are using anchor if you're listening via podcast thank you for listening but you can get involved more directly in the conversation through anchor so you can either call in or you can comment and thanks again for everyone that did call in the other day i actually really enjoyed the interactions so please feel no way about leaving eight like messages towards me because you know what if if it's great content i'm gonna put it on the channel and i'm gonna respond because i love these conversations i really think that more is done for the body of christ when there is dialogue than there is monologue so i can come on this platform and i can talk for hours but i think true building is gonna come when everyone else interacts and that's really what i want from a platform like this I, i i want the interaction i love the interaction so please call in give your comments ask your questions and i will be more than happy to respond so praise god and have a blessed day hey guys just a heads up that i have today launched my other broadcasts metamyth and movies which i spoke about Uh, a couple of days back so wanted to do a separate anchor station just to talk about and muse about and geek out about movies tv shows comic books and the like so uh, if you search for metamyth and movies uh, hopefully it will come up and please favorite it give it a listen and give your feedback your claps and all the good stuff that you give over here so hope you all enjoy it and enjoy the rest of your day too god bless Just finished catching up on your station today, and as usual, love the way that you provoke thoughts um, as I listen. I think when it comes to the saltiness thing, that was interesting to me that you said that salt, if not salty, is then no longer salt. That's an interesting take on it, and I'm still processing through that because you're absolutely right. Every single teacher I've ever had who talked about the saltiness thing always said, that it can lose its saltiness, and this is the scientific reasons behind it and whatnot. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the implications are of that. I'm, there's something there, though. And as regards how we can be that light and be that salt, um, I think there is a lot more to the consistency of a Christian life lived than there is to um, proselytizing, and I mean that in the negative. <laughs> Hey, Victoria, thanks again for calling in. Um, yeah, I think that you're right. There definitely is more to it uh, in terms of the question of um, salt and saltiness. Um, I mean, I, I guess to put it as simply as possible, I think if 
um, something quote-unquote loses its saltiness, maybe it never was salt, I guess. Or to put it another way, uh, I, I would say if you are indeed salt, I don't believe you will ever really lose your saltiness. Um, just like as you, if you are indeed light, I guess you will never really lose that light. I think you will always shine that light regardless. Um, and yeah, I'd, I'd love to hear more of your thoughts in terms of um, negative views on proselytizing. I uh, would love to get a bit more information on what you actually mean by that. Hey, just saw your response to my call-in. I think I was planning on calling in with like a, like expanding on that and then I just straight up forgot. So, <laughs> um, yeah, negative thoughts on proselytizing. I grew up in Baptist church that I think I've mentioned before and evangelism was something that they trained us to do. And the way they trained us to do it was to find random people wherever you could, hand them a tract, make them listen to your testimony and to all the points of salvation, and then ask them if they were going to make a decision or not. And while that was effective sometimes, most of the time it was more than just not effective, it was off-putting. Because <laughs> there's no context whatsoever. So. When you're trying to browbeat people and convince people into becoming Christians, I consider that proselytizing. Um, I witnessed a lot of people participating in proselytizing, <laughs> in aggressively trying to find people, telling them that they were wrong, that they were sinners, and it wasn't that it wasn't that the truth was being misrepresented uh, necessarily. It just wasn't being shared in love. It was like a um, add the notches to your belt kind of approach to bringing people into the church. And I think that was the thing is that they wanted people, they wanted to be like, Oh, that's a, that's a Christian I made, you know what I mean? And, um, I just wasn't about it. I was never comfortable with it. I shared Jesus, um, explicitly like that in an in evangelistic, evangelistic way, probably like maybe five times in my entire life. And the rest of it has just been me talking to people about God and my experiences. And then the rest of it's just been living my life. <laughs> so I tend to respect people who, I mean, if God is leading you to talk to somebody, please obey. That's not, you know, I'm, I'm not rising up against that idea of testimony and of evangelistic tools and reaching out and even big, you know, the, the Billy Graham things where there's thousands of people trying to have that relationship with God. I, all of that stuff is amazing and, um, and interesting to me, but uh, there is always a part of me that's saying, I, it was once described to me as the log jam at the gates of heaven. Like there's a bunch of people in the world that were just told, be a Christian so you don't burn in hell. Like, what is that? That's not, <laughs> that's not what we're called to. We're not called to all have just like flotation devices and that's it. And we're called to a life that's honoring to the Lord and that brings his kingdom into the world. What are we doing about all of the people that are being evangelized, quote unquote, and who have no idea what that's supposed to look like. Okay, I've tried to do this part a couple of times and it's not coming through well. <laughs> All I want to say is I accept and recognize that God can use these tracks and, and 
door-to-door ministries if he wants to. I'm not rejecting that idea, but I find them generally to be disingenuous. That was my experience. And I also recognize that because it was my experience and because I'm pushing back away from it, I might go too far (laughs) and I might not, um, it, it really, it really squashed a desire for evangelism in my heart, which is not okay. And which is something I've been talking to God about for years now. So working on that slowly, but surely. Um, but I don't know, I, I guess, I guess I get very frustrated with the idea that there's some sort of merit to finding random people and forcing them into a philosophical discussion. Certainly for myself personally, I keep praying and asking God to create in me a heart for evangelism, a heart for the lost, for the people who are on the fringes and who need his love. Um, I do pray for people that I know who are against God right now or angry with him or hurt. Um, I do pray for those people, but I don't make people talk to me about it, I guess is where I am. And maybe there's a boldness there that God is still trying to grow in me. But for now, for now, it's just me living my life, answering questions, bringing it up if it needs to be brought up, but generally just praying for people. And um, yeah, I don't know what else to do with it (laughs) at this point. I tend to be more gifted in helping people learn more, not so much in challenging where they are if they're not with, with God right now, if that makes sense. Okay, so just to wrap up, I guess the thing, the reason that I call it proselytizing is because there's no context, there's no desire for a relationship, there's no desire to get to know that person and hear what God has for them in particular in their personal life. There's no desire to help the people who are broken. It's just the idea of, you know, like when people throw money at a situation, but they don't want to get their hands dirty and actually fix anything. When we're evangelizing as the body of Christ, I would hope that we would at the very least show that we care. Because if we don't care, then it's about us. It's not about that person. It's not even about God. It's just about us patting ourselves on the back, saying we convinced them that God is real and they should be terrified. Congratulations to us. Our church has grown bigger. You know, like that's that's repulsive to me. I can't stand that. So that's to me the difference between evangelism and proselytizing thank you again for that call in um i especially appreciate it because i i think my maybe my dirty little secret as someone who um is ordained as a pastor is that i do not like evangelism i i I really i don't like doing it and the reason that i don't like doing it is pretty much what you laid out um Back in 2012, I spent about three to four months doing direct sales. So that was pretty much door to door, um, stopping people on the street and trying to sell them a product. And what I found coming out of that experience is that it felt very much like what we did when we evangelize or what we do when we evangelize. And so that experience made it harder for me to even be comfortable with evangelizing how we tend to evangelize these days where it's going up to a person basically trying to conjure up a relationship out of thin air and also trying to get them to buy into your belief so i always felt like i'm selling a product i'm handing out flyers i'm handing out leaflets um and it's not to say that you you know just like you said there isn't fruit that comes out of it 
or that people aren't blessed for it from it or that people haven't genuinely had you know um god in you know impact them and had an encounter with god and have come to faith but by and large i don't see it um i don't really see it being that effective um and i do feel like i'm not being genuine so it's good to know that i'm not the only person that feels that way um and so but also like what you said um there is that feeling of not wanting to go too far the other way where you completely rule out anything and my journey is interesting because i've gone through phases so there was the phase where i was very much well who has time to make a relationship with everyone we just need to get the message and those who want to hear it will hear it and those who don't you know want to hear it won't hear it but i think i'm now coming to a place where i'm like seeing again the value of actually spending time um getting to know people um interacting with them and just allowing the spirit of god to open up an opportunity so i don't feel comfortable just trying to insert the conversation if it comes up great but genuinely speaking it's not really what i'm comfortable with ironically if it's something like public debate that's different i'm actually far far more comfortable with that so i'm more comfortable for example going up to a store that had been set up by a bunch of muslims who were handing out where they're handing out tracks and starting a conversation with them um and you know having a back and forth that to me i'm far more comfortable with that sort of thing than just stopping random people on the street and trying to tell them about christ i'd I'd, you know for me it doesn't come across as genuine and in my experience the only people that actually seems to work with are either people who are already Christians, people who are backslidden, or people who have grown up in a Christian home. So um, it just doesn't seem to be the most effective means for me of, you know, going out and preaching, you know, the good news of the kingdom. And even I think the message that we give, I don't think the message is entirely authentic to what the original you know disciples and jesus himself would have proclaimed you know it's and it may sound controversial to some ears but if you look at the gospels when it says that jesus was going and preaching the gospel the one thing he didn't actually tell everyone was i'm going to die on a cross and if you don't believe it you know you're you're going to hell he actually didn't give that message he gave the message of the kingdom of god and what that meant to the israelites at the time and you know um it was it's not that you know him dying on the cross wasn't going to happen and obviously he did talk about it with his disciples but it wasn't something that he spoke about openly to people and again it's not to say that we never talk about him being crucified but you know even when you look at someone like uh peter or paul they it was it's not that they glossed over it it was more like yeah you know you guys killed him but god raised him from the dead like that was kind of their emphasis was more the resurrection than the actual crucifixion whereas our emphasis tends to be the crucifixion and hell um so yeah so yeah completely feeling completely feeling what you're saying and completely agree so thanks again for chiming in oh and one more thing i would actually add that i forgot to mention before um is the notion that evangelism isn't necessarily for everyone in the body of christ to do i don't believe if we start from ephesians 4 11 
where it says that some are given as apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Um, First Corinthians 12, you know, are all apostles, are all prophets, you know, are all teachers, are all pastors, etc., etc. Not everyone has the same function. And I think there is this assumption in the body of Christ that everyone should evangelize. And it's not to say that no one should ever witness, but not everyone is called to evangelize. And I think... Uh, churches in general need to recognize that people who have that, you know, have that, I guess, that 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 uh, grace upon them or who are stirred up to do it. It's like, if you want to go out and do it, by all means, if you think the Spirit is leading you to do it, I think you should go. But I also think we need to recognize that not everyone is called to do that. Some people are called to do help. Some people are called to do encouragement. Some people are called to wait on tables. Um, and I think true unity in the body is recognizing that people have different functions and we should respect and encourage those functions um so me personally i don't think generally speaking i'm someone who is called to evangelize my heart is far more for the people who are already in the body and strengthening them um defending the body of christ from attacks from outside um but i i do have a heart for muslims so i i do um, and it's it's lessened over the years, and there's a very specific reason for why that is. But um, yeah, there's definitely been a desire in my heart to specifically reach out to that group of people. Um, but even then, it's not always if I see you on the street, I'm going to approach you. It's more so if you have a stand, I'd love to speak to you. Or if I have the opportunity to establish a relationship with you. I would love to pursue that and pursue dialogue that way. That's what I feel like I'm called to do. Um, but in terms of generally going out, you know, and just street evangelism, I don't think that that's my calling, but it may be someone else's. Hey, what's up? Jason Bordeaux here. So uh, I, I really love what I'm hearing right now in this discussion uh, with Victoria Bacon and uh, and yourself, Stephen. So one thing I wanted to say real quick uh, in response to what Victoria was say, saying is that I, I know what she feels like whenever sometimes it feels like we're just trying to make our team bigger so we can win like a trophy whenever we're inviting people to get to know Christ. And so one thing I always ask myself is, am I, am I introducing people to Christ? Am I really trying to, you know, share Christ with people because I love the people, because I love Christ, or I'm just trying to gain a bigger home team to feel like I'm part of the biggest you know, community in the world. Like, you know, what exactly is the passion there? Uh, if, if there's not a love for the person or out of love for Christ, I feel like it really, it's coming from a negative place of pride and just wanting to be part of a bigger squad, if that makes any sense. And I also wanted to talk about the the idea of what I would call cold calling, what you know some people are calling evangelism, when you just go up to people and you just say, hey, you know about Jesus, you know, X, Y, Z. Uh, that doesn't really work as well as if somebody already has a genuine interest about Christ and they see Christ in your life and then they want to get some clarification about things. To me, that always seems to work much better than to just walk up to a random stranger 
and say, hey, I got to tell you, if you don't accept Christ now, you're going to burn in hell. Here's how you accept Christ. Uh, that, that just doesn't work as good. I mean, if you're thinking about cold calling a business, cold calling always sucks because the people are generally not interested. Uh, one out of very, very, very few will ever, ever, ever quote buy into what you're talking about. So anyway, I just wanted to share that with you, and I, and I really, really love the conversation. Hey, Jason, thanks for calling in. Um, I'm officially going to use that term from now on cold call evangelism i think that perfectly describes it and you're absolutely right i think that when we do that it does give no indication that we actually care for the people because you know what i mean mean, this is just me speaking personally i couldn't say that i genuinely care for every single person that i had approached when i was doing evangelism like that because it was just like i i have no connection to you other than you are made in the image of god and the bible tells me i should preach the gospel to you because i care about you when in actual fact i'm probably gonna forget your face tomorrow and i'm not gonna remember who you are um it's very difficult for me to conjure up feelings that i don't genuinely feel and the fact of the matter is that i don't have those feelings for everyone i, I just don't um I do pray that the Lord gives me more of a heart for people generally, but there's a difference between me actually stopping having a conversation with you, finding out something about you and humanizing you more in my eyes than me just approaching you, you know, and just trying to win you that way. And, And definitely it is primarily about building our squad. And this is a thought I had yesterday. Where in scripture are we actually told to preach the gospel so that we increase the size of our congregations? There is nothing really in the scripture that even talks about increasing the size of our congregations rather than spreading the gospel to all the nations. Um, And the analogy that I tend to use is I believe that God would rather we have a small shack made out of gold, silver and precious stones than to have a humongous mansion made out of wood, hay and straw. So often we focus more on the quantity rather than the quality of the people that we bring into the kingdom. And frankly, this salesmanship, this cold calling evangelism primarily fills the church with the kinds of people that that approach would cater to, which I think is people who are more about uh, capitalism and materialism or just leeching basically and that's what we tend to become when we come into the church we come in to get something rather than coming in to give of ourselves um, and I think the other reason why it doesn't sit well with me is because of the techniques that I used to learn whilst um, learning direct sales which is basically you're learning how to manipulate people into doing something that they wouldn't otherwise have wanted to do the definition for marketing we we were given was to create the need for a product or service in someone who does not otherwise need it and that to me is quite a sinister thing and that's one reason why i find it very difficult to do the kind of evangelism that we're generally encouraged to do with a clear conscience (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.